What's going on, everybody? Welcome in. Thursday, we are back with the second episode of All Canadian this week. Wade, Connor, Wade's taking one for the team today, though. Turning off the fan so that it doesn't interfere with the mics. I'm a warm-bodied person. I sweat a lot. It is... (laughs) It is very detrimental in the summertime, but in the wintertime, it is a huge plus. So I have to take my losses when they come. Uh, but at that note, I always have a nice, refreshing Sada City beer to cool me off uh, as we go, especially those tropical storms. Uh, but Sada City Brewing Company offers brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more about how they get their can art, maybe some of the names that interest you. You can find a bunch of stuff over at their website. So head over and check it out. And when you're there filling up your cart, this May, CFP listeners got our promo code extended because you guys were so awesome. Of course you are. Uh, Use the code CFP during checkout to receive free shipping on all orders over $100. Shipping is available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age. Anything cracked for yourself today? Uh, California Commons. I'm going with the Gravenhurst. So nice. Good pick. Little blue can. Good. Rocking and rolling. Got some soft body pills going on over here, but uh, we've we've kind of got some some merch now. Got some CFP merch. And that was. Brought to that was brought to us by our good friends, Area Fifty One Sports Apparel, Area Fifty One Sports and Equipment Industry, locally and minority owned. Area Fifty One Area Fifty One Sports's goal is to provide high quality uniforms, apparel, and equipment at affordable prices. Area Fifty One Sports offers uniform and equipment for all sports at remarkable prices. Check them out on Instagram at Area Fifty One Sport or reach out to them via email at area51sportsapparel at gmail.com. Stuff looks clean. Thanks to the guys over at Area 51 Sports Apparel. So definitely go and check them out. But before Jim Mullen jumps on to talk some Cornish Trophy, CFL Draft, everything, college, got some news and notes to get through. Absolutely. And we're going to start with some questionable news. Looks like the CFL is going to have to start their season out West. Uh, Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, not looking too hopeful on sporting events in Ontario throughout the summer, to start at least, which means uh, we might see three CFL franchises have to be relocated for a portion of the 2021 season. Yeah, we're, um, our case lo- our cases are still pretty high in Ontario. Don't think we see the CFL start in Ontario just yet, but we can remain hopeful. Vaccines are rolling out. I don't know. Mini bubble potentially out west, though. Where would where are you going to stick the Ontario teams? I don't know. You could buddy them up on the three easternmost franchises. You can go Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and. Calgary Edmonton take your pick uh, just kind of buddy up a team for that stadium so that way the fields aren't getting overused you don't have to worry about scheduling too much uh, with conflicts um, but no I, I like the idea of just kind of spreading it out it's going to be a mini bubble in the sense that you're really boxing it into western Canada I guess Montreal would have to do the flying but um, 
it would still be in and out pretty quick for them if it's just one team going to Montreal, flying Montreal out to the West. Um, the mini bubble, I guess, just it's a way of creating a space in Western Canada where you're not traveling into Ontario who does not want sporting events. But moving on, the BC Lions. Potential buyer backed out of a bid proposal. Yeah, I, I saw some that this may have to do with some uncertainty over the league, um, maybe some uncertainty over Redbird Capital's involvement in the talks that they're having with uh, the CFL. So um, I think it's just kind of them playing it safe and they've been wanting the league for, to buy the team for quite some time and they haven't so far. So um, I think it's finally like, okay, well, we're done waiting. Uh, situation's kind of gray right now. We're just going to pull our bid and just back out. Good news is there were other buyers lined up though. I don't think this is necessarily awful news or anything like that. It just is that. It's just news, something to talk about, something to bring forth. Um, a buyer backing out doesn't scare me all that much. Like you said, there are other potential buyers in the mix. It's just going to be a matter of who's going to own the BC lines at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I think they will get there at some point um, with a new buyer. It's just matter of getting the product on the field so it's visibly there to uh, negotiate it buy it with keeping with some u sports stuff former western mustang kind of didn't have a great day you know i will say chris merchant uh playing in the spanish league this year has been one of the bright spots uh in the league he was amongst one of the best offenses uh they competed for the spanish ball unfortunately for him it did not pan out the way he would have liked a uh, couple INTs there and they, they ended up losing the Spanish bowl. Um, but for Chris Merchant, it's a great start to a pro career over in Europe. Uh, he kind of hopped on the scene and became one of the league's best signal callers. So uh, kudos to Chris for the season over there and hopefully all the best moving forward. Didn't necessarily end the way he may have wanted it to, but great rookie campaign for Chris Merchant in the Spanish league. He kind of came in and proved a lot over this season, I think. So always cool to see former U sports guys playing pro football, no matter where it may be. Awesome to see that Chris Merchant, all things considered, had a good season. Coming back into the CFL though, in terms of actually playing football, we've said this a few times now, we have yet to cover an actual season of football since starting up this podcast, but we are getting closer and closer. Fans in stands has been a discussion, an ongoing discussion, and the Saskatchewan Premier hopes that fans will be in the stands in some capacity by August. So things are looking bright for that 2021 CFL start date. Yeah, and the Health Canada officials have stated that they're going to wait until there's 75% of the country's population vaccinated before they fully reopen. So uh, we will get fans in some capacity before the 75%, but once we hit that 75%, you watch out because if you saw the scene from the Carolina Hurricanes uh, playoff game yesterday, or sorry, this week, um, it, it's exciting to see fans get that amped up over sporting events. And up here, I, I speak for myself, but I feel like I'm speaking for everyone. We cannot wait to get back to that spot um the 75 percent, i'm just like okay come on like more people let's go now that you can go over 18 and up can book 
uh, in Ontario at least, get your vaccine. Get us to this 75% threshold. It's on all of us, whether we want things like the CFL, things like concert venues, or even if you want to just be able to go and have a, a big old party at a, at a beach one weekend with friends. It's on us as the citizens of the country to get us to that threshold. So let's boogie people. Let's get some vaccines in arms. And I know we don't like to kind of look forward too much or speculate too, too much, but that 75% vaccine rate fully reopening. I mean, we heard caretaker Bob come out and guarantee that his Hamilton Tiger Cats will be playing in 2021. But with the, with the rolling out, with the opening up and with things kind of looking up, what does this mean or maybe indicate for a Grey Cup? Could we see fans in the stands at the Grey Cup? It means that we will be having a very late ticket sale for the Grey Cup, which means a lot of mass panic, a lot of high ticket prices. Um, I hope it doesn't mean high, high ticket prices like we're seeing down with the Knicks in the playoffs. But um, in order to get fans in the stands for the Grey Cup, once they allow it, it's going to be a mass rush, I feel like, to get uh, people in the stands. Oh, it's going to be exciting. Whoever does get tickets to these games or if we have playoff games with full capacity or somewhat close, anything over 50% capacity, really, um, I feel like those people that do get in are going to make it feel like there's 10 times the number of seats available in the stadium. Does the feeling around the time of year right now to you feel so much more positive than it did last year? Like last year was all this uncertainty and negativity and kind of like, ah, yeah, we're like, we're likely not going to get a season. It's the news that we don't want to talk about and we don't want to hear. Inevitably, we got it. But now that like the feeling around the league this, this time around, it's kind of, it's more optimistic. It's like, hey, when are we getting football? Not, hey, ah, we're losing football. I think it is much more optimistic and we've talked about this. It's because of the vaccine last year, this time we didn't have it available. They were still trying to develop one and it was like a, well, hopefully we get one by Christmas. And if we get one by Christmas, then hopefully we can start rolling it out. Now it's like, all right, everyone can go, just go, go, go. It takes 30 minutes maximum out of your day. I went and got mine. I literally walked in, sat down, I wasn't sitting for two minutes. That guy was already wheeling away from me after giving me my vaccine. I sat there for 15 minutes, stood up, got my second appointment booked at a different table, walked out the door and off I went. Like it, it's such a simple and easy process. I, I think now we're just kind of rushing people to get it and get it as soon as you can. And it creates a lot of optimism to get the world back open. We are super excited for the potential 2020-2021 season coming up here. Sorry. We're super excited for the potential of a 2021 season coming up here. Feels like we are going to get it. It's within reach. We can see it on the horizon. But we are finally going to get into what we came here for. Y'all saw the episode title. He's coming back. The president of Football Canada. Jim Mullen's going to come on, talk some Cornish Trophy some Ontario football, some NFL, CFL draft. Super excited to have him back on and get his thoughts on, you know, everything that's been happening in football over the last few weeks, NFL draft, CFL draft, free agent signings, 
Cornish Trophy coming up this weekend as well. We will hear the recipient on May 24th for that. Absolutely. And before we get to Jim Mullins, I would like to take a second to remind you guys that All Canadian is brought to you in part by Bet99. You can go over, sign up with code CFP, and you get 100% of your initial deposit matched up to $600. Uh, we're getting into NBA playoffs. NHL playoffs are underway. Uh, Connor, we got we got LeBron James going here. We're recording before the, the Thursday morning here, but LeBron James playing game. This could be uh, this could be potential uh, big time moment for LBJ. But no, if you want to bet on that, sign up, use code CFB, get extra money in your pocket, get an even bigger turnaround if you're going to hit on LeBron having more than eight assists. Because I I think I don't know what his line is, but seems like he's going to have a lot of assists in that game. Just feeding AD down low. All I'm saying is Steph Curry for MVP. That guy's unreal. Talk to me about Julius Randle and then tell me again. Julius Randle can win comeback player of the year. He's not my MVP. He should have been from your fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I lost in the semis. So where's Julius Randle now? As the four seed in the playoffs. But on that note, here you guys go with the interview with Jim Mullins. So joining us again, we do welcome back Jim Mullen, president of Football Canada. He was in a couple of weeks ago with us, and now we are back post-draft, Cornish Trophy coming up, some big news coming out of Ontario football as well. So we're going to touch on all of that. Jim, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me. I always like to get the word out. Absolutely. Our first repeat guest, actually, in the year that Connor and I have done this, we've always tried to get new faces, but... When you're the president, you get you get extra extra special treatment. Uh, we're so kind that you can join us again. Uh, big week, as they as they'd say on the Rod Peterson show. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, big week for you coming up as the Cornish Trophy is starting to wind down. The Bodog odds were released for that. Um, how did you guys come about making the odds line? Uh, were you involved in that process at all? I was not involved in that process. That that's something that that Bodog did on their own and uh, determined on their own. And I think that uh, yesterday uh, there were some major bargains to be had on that board. Uh, a shift uh, to today. I think they've seen some money coming towards John Mechie the uh, third. He started at uh, plus one twenty. Uh, pardon me, uh, plus four hundred. Now he's plus one twenty five, mm. and and he's the favorite for this. Uh, Chuba Hubbard started at minus one ten, and he's up to uh, plus one fifty. Uh, Eamon Ogbong Bamiga plus three hundred. He started at he's at plus four fifty right now, and then it goes Palmer Jackson in a day. And you know what I draw from this is you know with a with a national award. Um, and when you have a combination of player evaluators um, from professional football combined uh, with uh, media people uh, selecting this, I think people are, are kind of banking on that um, offensive bias uh, to kick in uh, when they when they look at a guy like Mechie, who has name recognition from playing with a national champion at Alabama uh, uh, moving up, uh, filling a role due to injury, and producing some solid numbers. Uh, 
Uh, I would say that Josh Palmer is probably the better of the two receivers at this stage. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to meet Josh Palmer down in Tennessee when he was a freshman. Man, he's a confident kid. He's he, he he's he's confident. He's clear thinking. Uh, he's got a great work ethic. Uh, he had major inconsistency at quarterback at Tennessee over this past year. Uh, certainly, if you put Palmer into that uh, uh, Alabama offense, he would have produced better numbers than he had at uh, at Tennessee. But uh, I think he can. I think he can make it big for a few years in the National Football League. The most complete player, uh, I think, in this Cornish Trophy grouping is Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga. Um, he had uh, one game earlier this year where he forced three fumbles, recovered two of them, and returned one of them for a touchdown. And I would put that game up against any defensive player in the NCAA last year in terms of having one signature game that stood out uh, amongst every defensive player uh, across the United States in, in Division One, uh, I'm eager to see what he does at that NFL level. But you know, uh, if there is a CFL game in the future with a 65-yard wide field, and we're hoping for that uh, over here at Football Canada, um, that's where I'd really love to see him shine because we, we saw a guy. Um, you know, last year, uh, when I say last year, I mean well, two years ago, uh, where he was uh, playing outside and playing on the edge and, and uh, you know, had great pursuit angles and a great burst of speed. But, man, when you saw him playing in the middle and playing a very different game, he still had that great sideline the sideline speed that would fit so well in the Canadian game. And um, it, it, the, the thing is about uh, Eamon is that in comparison to the other players on this list, um, maybe uh, with the exception of Alaric Jackson, um, Eamon brought it every game and brought it consistently right across the board. So, you know, hopefully when the votes are finally tallied, um, this doesn't come down to offensive bias versus uh, uh, defensive negligence on behalf of the voters. I hope they really seriously consider Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga. When you talk about this class, I mean, there's a ton of talent in there. You have, you know, you just spent time talking about Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga, Alonzo Day in his own right, great player, Larry Jackson, Josh Palmer, Mechie. I mean, all the guys in, like on this list, so talented. What to you is unique about this 2021 group? Like what, what stands out about the guys on this list for you? Well, with the exception of quarterback, and we've had a quarterback win this award twice with Nathan Rourke. And I think we will see quarterbacks in the future uh, win this uh, award is, uh, you know, some of the players that have been left off of this list, you know, Chase Brown running back out of, uh, out of Illinois uh, that had numbers that were comparable to Chuba Hubbard. He was left off this list. Enoch McConzo, who was at Coastal Carolina, uh, who mm. played seven different positions on defense. That maybe actually worked against him uh, in that he couldn't consolidate his numbers in one position because you could move him around uh, your entire defense. Um, and, and we saw how Coastal Carolina did this year, too. They were a major contender throughout the uh, year. I was disappointed that he was left off the list. 
Um, Benjamin St. Juice was left off the list, I think, just because th- th- there wasn't enough of a body of work this year uh, for him. Uh, you know, certainly you saw where he went in the draft uh, insofar as Canadians go for Canadian train players. He was the top player in the draft. I know Javon Holland was the top Canadian born player, but he left Coquitlam at the age of eight. So he, he never really uh, learned the game uh, in Canada and, and was a product of this system. Um, you know, so uh, it, it was interesting to, to uh, see where St. Juice went. And uh, obviously with all the reports out of Washington right now, he better be ready to go right away. It looks like that, that, that he may have a spot uh, starter or at least in the rotation uh, with the Washington football team. So I was surprised by, by the guys that were, that were left off this list because they, they were a quality set of, of players. And it does uh, talk about the depth of Canadian player at the NCAA level. Now, you know, uh, switching gears a bit to, to you sports, is that a concern? I'd say it's a bit of a concern when you, when you have players that, that, that normally would have been kind of caught in the net, especially with some of the players from Quebec that would have stayed there uh, due to culture and, and language that are now finding a way to the United States. Uh, but but it, it, it does say something about the depth of talent that, that was coming out of Canada pre-pandemic. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the pandemic has an, has an impact on on how we produce players and 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 how the uh, the two years that, that we've gone through uh, has impacted uh, outcomes for players in Canada. Absolutely, and when you, when you talk about those Canadian-born or Canadian-bred players going to the NFL draft, we got a big shock when in the NFL draft uh, almost a month ago now. Round two arrives, no safeties had gone off the board, and everyone was kind of picking the TCU safety, Javon Mulrig, uh, to be the top guy. And here comes Miami with Javon Holland right out of the gate on day two. Um, were you surprised with that selection, or, and how do you think he'll pan out? I, I was not surprised. And, you know, Javon Holland had an easy decision to sit out, especially um, considering where the Pac-12 was at. Uh, in terms of re-engaging and playing the game uh, with the pandemic, you know, like, like a lot of you sports guys, actually, the film was already out there on him. The, the video was there. Everybody knew what he was capable of. Uh, so, so by not having uh, uh, games under his belt from this past year really didn't hurt him. Uh, he knew what his projection was. Everyone knew what his combine numbers were. So, you know, that, that, that really wasn't a surprise to me, and I'm sure it wasn't a surprise in, in his camp. And I know that uh, former CFL receiver Robert Holland, his dad, was probably more than a proud papa. And, and it was interesting to see uh, a lot of his old teammates uh, in the social media sphere really come out of the woodwork and all, uh, all, all give dad a pat on the back for, uh, for what his son did at the NFL draft. And uh, a bunch of Canadians went. I mean, we talk about Javon Holland. You mentioned Ben St. Juice, but a lot of Canadian guys kind of signed in this undrafted free agency period afterwards, like Eamon Ogbong, Bamiga, and Alaric Jackson, two Cornish Trophy finalists. Um, were you shocked to see those two guys, to name a few, just go undrafted? I, I was shocked to see Alaric Jackson go undrafted, especially if you uh, take a look at how many. 
uh, all American uh, and all conference teams he was positioned for before the start of the season. Now, now he stepped up and played every snap in numerous games throughout this year. Uh, he was a starter for uh, for for every game that he played in Iowa. I do believe uh, throughout his career. Um, for for some reason, the shine went off of him a little bit. I did think that he was going to sneak in on the final day uh, as a as a draft selection. He, here's another case of a guy though that uh, born in Canada, really raised in Detroit. Like like we give a nod to him because of uh, because of passport. Is he a product of the Canadian system? Uh, not not really. Uh, at, at the end of the day, is is he? Is he uh, willing to to represent Canada in the NFL as one of 28 Canadian NFL players? Yeah, he is. So, uh, you know, best of luck to him. But I was surprised that he wasn't a drafted player on draft day. Do you think that was maybe just a product of overthinking? I mean, you touched on it. He was a four-year starter at Iowa. Were teams just kind of looking at him for too long going, well, there's got to be something wrong with him? That's right. That's what happens sometimes. And and uh, I, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head in that, you know, when there is that much hype built up around a guy, uh, you know, I've got the I've got the list in front of me. OK, so he started all all 42 games. He dressed for Iowa. Here's a guy that started all games for for Iowa through three years. That should be enough of a body of work. Right. Uh, he was selected second team All-America by AFCA, third team All-America by Phil Steele, first team All-Big Ten by league coaches and media, first team All-Big Ten by Associated Press and Phil Steele, and was named to the Outland Trophy preseason watch list. Well, okay, sorry, dude, you didn't win the Outland Trophy. I guess the shine is off you now. Like, like, like with that much recognition, how can you fall off the radar like that? It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. And as we move to talk about some of the other undrafted free agents, we're going to stay with offensive linemen because there's a product of Canada all the way through university in Pierre Olivier Lestage, who went out to Seattle. We heard that he took a pay cut to go play in Seattle. And now all of a sudden that's looking like it was the best business decision he's ever made as the reports are just glowing out. And I said to Connor the other day, Pete Carroll's talking about emergency center. If someone's not planning on making your roster, why would you be talking about them as an emergency center? Like that to me seems like a, a term reserved for guys, you know, are making the final cut. Yeah, it, it does. And, and the reports are, are fantastic for, for, uh, for Pierre coming out of Seattle right now. And uh, being someone who's based in Vancouver, being someone who was surrounded by Seattle Seahawks fans, I have heard it up to here with complaints <laughs> about their offensive line. So I would like a Canadian solution for, for them at offensive line. I know that, uh, uh, you know, Danny Machocha was, was looking forward to, to, to finding a path for one of his former players to uh, make it uh, to the Montreal Alouettes. He certainly passed the bar of uh, being a Francophone uh, <laughs> in so far as the Alouettes go. I, I don't think you'll see him here uh, on, on this side of the line for, for a number of years, uh, given the hype that is uh, starting to circulate. And, and quite frankly, uh, when, you, when you say emergency center, there's a recognition there that he has all the tools. 
mm-hmm. and he needs to be a bit of a bit, bit of a project to bring him along. And you know, where have we heard that before? Well, with a lot of Canadians that have been drafted into the CFL that need that time to 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 be projects to come along. That's why we have a ratio up here to make sure that that of all the Canadians that we have, they are given the proper focus and coaching and time to make that transition to the professional game. It doesn't happen overnight. Absolutely. And with the Seahawks, I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of draft picks. And you said it yourself, you've heard all the complaints. They came out and they they didn't really address the offensive line. So whenever Connor and I read that Pierre signed with Seattle, we went, oh, that's perfect. It's like, an that open is, door. Yeah, yeah, that's a great yeah. way for him to, I mean, Russell Wilson has came out and criticized his offensive line and they didn't do anything to <laughs> get any favors from him. So all of a sudden, Pierre-Olivier Lestage is now sitting there going, okay, I am the best guy that you have brought into this mini camp. Let me show it. You you need Gord Randall from our Crown Gridiron <laughs> Nation show on here. He's the biggest Seahawks fan that we have on our panel. And I'm actually surrounded by Philadelphia Eagles fans on our on our uh, on our uh, panel and in our production staff. But Gord's the one Seahawks fan. Uh, you could probably get him on here for 30 minutes just complaining about the offensive <laughs> line. So what one, one of these times you should reach out to Gordon and have him on here as well. Absolutely. We had him on during our uh, our live show for the draft and he was That's right. He was more than excited to to come back anytime. So hopefully we can set that up. Um outside of Pierre, do you see any of the other undrafted free agents sticking on a roster? Here's one that that's from a previous year that that was called in to uh New York's roster who mm. was drafted as a quarterback in the CFL and is now running pass routes and surprising everyone there. It's Nathan Rourke. If, if we're sticking with the Cornish trophy theme today, <laughs> there's the two time Cornish award winner that, that is now drawing comparisons, Julian Edelman. Like, like, like now if, if you spend a lot of time watching Nathan's film, you'd understand why too, as a quarterback, he's, you know, he's a run-pass option guy that that ran as much as he passed. Uh, he's a guy that that would read the read the defensive end, and instead of going around him, he'd either go through them or inside them, and 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 pay the price. He's very physical, especially for a guy his size uh, of six foot one. Um, you know, given that that he's still. You know, that 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 he's still in the running as as a receiver, um, had the year off, had an opportunity to try some some things uh, throughout the uh, um, throughout the pandemic to to train the the quarterback skill set is always there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him find a way to to stick down there or at least stay on a practice roster and maybe find a way to work his way up and through. Now. I think that would be a sad thing and that, you know, he's a Canadian quarterback. And I think everybody that's, that's intimately tied into the game in Canada wants to see Canadians do well, a quarterback, maybe Michael O'Connor at Calgary is our, is our only hope right now, because uh, I think Nathan Rourke has a, has a great shot to, to, to stay as a receiver in the NFL. We always love to see Canadians down in the NFL, but if he doesn't stick, if he does come back, what does this mean for him in the CFL then? Because he was kind of, I mean, yes, BC still has Mike Riley, he's still a phenomenal quarterback, but Nathan Rourke 
was kind of the next guy up for BC. So how does this change his director or sorry, how does this change his trajectory uh, potentially in the CFL? Could they look at him and go, Hey, maybe we have a Sinopoli type deal going on here with Nathan Rourke. Yeah. You, you, you stole a thought from my head. You, you, you stole the line from me. He does, does look a lot like uh, he could take the path of Brad Sinopoli. Now the, the lions, if you ask them, they will tell you they drafted Nathan Rourke, not as an athlete, but as a quarterback. I mean, if you take a look at his uh, numbers at Ohio and what he did in the Mac, he's, he's fully capable of uh, stepping up from that level uh, being an understudy to an older quarterback like like Mike Riley, who can uh, teach him and mentor him and bring him around uh, as, as a quarterback. And as much as Nathan Rourke is a is a uh, player that is uh, out of Ontario that that found his way to the United States, he was born in Victoria. He he, he actually talked about. Uh, 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 affiliations to the BC Lions and, and and having the Lions as one of his favorite teams and having memories of them as a kid. So um, I think there's some local marketability in him uh, as a quarterback. Uh, I hope that if he does come back from the NFL, he picks up where he le- uh, has left off as a quarterback uh, because he can, he can do so many things well. He's not like his brother, who's currently at Ohio, who's got about three or four inches on him in height and is a straight drop back guy, Mm. Nathan Rourke goes out there and makes things happen. The only concern that I have for him as a quarterback is a lot of times he makes things happen with his body. And when you do that at the professional level, durability becomes an issue. Absolutely. You see that with guys like Cam Newton, who has, you know, his career took off initially. And then as those injuries and surgery started to catch up, you've seen him falter to the point where, Last year, he was the last starting quarterback signed, and he signed for dirt cheap. So uh, it's certainly a a learned ability to kind of get your body out of harm's way while still being able to make the plays. It'll be interesting to see, I guess, if this time at receiver kind of enhances his put the body on the line or kind of teaches him, hey, maybe I should take a a step back when I'm under center. Mm -hmm, For sure. On that note, Uh, We're going to move to a bit of the CFL draft. We're going to switch borders here. Uh, And we have talked about this, the number of U-sports guys taken despite not having a season in the CFL draft was remarkably high. It was, it was shocking to me to see them outnumber the NCAA. But as we've talked about with you is the NCAA guys have kind of dominated those early rounds. So what do you make of the, I guess, ratio of U-sports to NCAA guys going? Well, I think uh, as we talked about with with the the number of NCAA guys that are not listed in the Cornish Awards, the quality of these guys that are not listed in the Cornish Awards, there's a lot of Canadian talent south of the line right now. Um, You know, I think by our count, we had it at about 103 or 104 Canadians in Division One, FCS or FBS. Um, That's that that's a that's a big number. That that's an entire uh, U sports teams of, of of potential all Canadians, including your reserve squad. Right, uh, that that has an effect on talent uh, across the country. Uh, but you know, when you take a look at a guy like Nelson Lacombo, um, who uh, who is uh, actually getting an NFL look, um, 
you know, um, being being landed in his new home province. I mean, he's, he's from the Fraser Valley, but uh, went to the University of Saskatchewan. Um, you know, that that that's uh, that's a strong place for him to start uh, in, in in Saskatchewan. And, you know, you really hope when you look at a, at a player like Lacombo, he's not the type of corner that you that you put on the field side, that that he has the potential after after a year of being coached up to actually be a Canadian that plays the boundary um, because he has that that physical uh, set of gifts uh, that seem to run through that uh, family. Um, the, 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 the concern that I have, and I mentioned it off the top of uh, uh, this this podcast, is um, what are you sports? Um, class is going to look like in about two or three years from now because of the pandemic, because of, of players just stopping engagement in the game. Um, what, what, uh, what does youth sports look like if the CFL decides to do away with the ratio? Because there has been talk at the highest levels of the CFL of doing away with the ratio. Um, what does youth sports uh, look like if that ratio is done away with in combination with financial pressures on these operations where there are fewer teams playing new sports football does that does that concentrate the talent does it uh, uh, does, does it shrink the presence of football in this country right now when I take a look at, at youth sports in the draft it's kind of a good news story in terms of the numbers that we see. Uh, but but there's there's a lot of warning signs uh, on the road ahead, and a lot of that is uh, outside of the control of university football programs in this country, and 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 that's that's a worry to me. The CFL is going to do whatever the CFL does uh, in the future. Um, you know, as amateur football, we talked to you sports, we talked to the CJFL, we even talked to our officials and said, what's important to you moving forward? The field size is important, right? Um, the number of players on the field is important, uh, correlating with that, with that field size and all of our, our rules and, and, and what we, uh, and what we teach, but also most important to both the juniors uh, and the universities is that path to the pros and is that ratio you take the ratio out of it i really worry about the infrastructure of football in this country so you know like i say we we, we had some good news with the draft but in the future i think we got more questions than answers one trend that we do see in the draft or we have seen as of late and i mean danny mitchell has not been shy about it he came out and said i'm taking guys from quebec and that's kind of what he's been doing over the last two drafts now, but I mean, we see, we've seen that more and more too. I mean, Lucumbo stays at home. Well, home, he's, he's going from Saskatchewan to Saskatchewan. Um, a lot of the guys from Calgary ended up staying in the West as well. The draft seems to be very much a regional thing now. Is that a trend that you see continuing? Hometown discount. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I think when, when, when you see the path of, um, drafted players in the CFL. Uh, and and I, I think this has been part of a trend for the last 15 years is that if they're drafted from outside their region, they'll play their two or three years with, with that team. And when, when free agency really comes up, they go home anyway. 
So, so if, if there's that, you know, Bradsonopoly, there you go. There's, mm. there's a perfect example of that. And I can probably name about 20 more. Um, there's, you know, uh, if you are putting that time into developing that, that, that player that we we're talking about within the ratio and, uh, and with, um, uh, national players, uh, you want to have that payoff after, after two, three or four years. You don't want that payoff to be signing as a free agent back in his hometown again. It, it, it's only logical that 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 you uh, prioritize a, a guy like Ben Halatic, especially if he's available mm-hmm. on the board. If you're the BC Lions, right? Um, what Danny Machocha did in Montreal, in my mind, like he's he said that you know we draft good players who happen to speak French, but you know what? I, I think the the uh, culture and the language in that market um, needs to be addressed. I think that team to be successful needs to reflect what that marketplace is. And they need to have athletes who, who are relatable uh, outside of the uh, outside of some key imports. The rest of the crew needs to connect with those communities across Quebec for that team to be successful. And I, I think that's a stroke of brilliance on his part. And he did a lot of that in the, in, in the last uh, last draft as well. So I, I think that when you look at the uh, most recent glory days of the Montreal Alouettes, uh, when Ben Cahoon and Mike Pringle and Anthony Calvillo were there, they were supported by a set of about eight to nine Francophone speaking uh, players that were either attached to the Ottawa region or from Quebec. And, and and that's part of what built that bridge to to have those sellout crowds at uh, at Molson Stadium. Um, I think every every uh, every team should be taking a page out of what Danny Machocha did in this past draft. Absolutely, and you've seen like the hometown discount. I mean, guys like Nate Bahar come flying back to Ottawa right after his rookie contract's done, and he's surrounded by a bunch of his former teammates or guys from. Connor's alma mater in Ottawa U where it's like, okay, yeah, we can, we can now market these red blocks to the schools in this area, but also to the youth programs, because you see the clear path that goes, okay, if I play Nakafa, then I play at Carlton, maybe I can play for the red blocks like these guys have as well. So uh, I really like this model. It's, it's what I was saying. I was on the, the Mark cast uh, a few, a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, you're comparing American systems and Canadian systems, and they're both remarkably different from each other. In the, in the American system, you've got three strong, unshakable pillars because uh, they have a foundation, right? It's high school, it's college, it's professional. Each of them can afford to even take a hit now and then because they, they, because they can stand all independently from each other. They all feed into each other, but they're all independent. Canada, because of our geography, because of our numbers, because of our regions either being connected or being separated from each other, it's an ecosystem. And I'll tell you, you, you take one key element out of that ecosystem, you're going to have a collapse on, on one part of that, that system, right? If, if, if the most obvious portion here is if the ratio goes, <laughs> there's the possibility for a collapse in some part of that system that supplies those players. Uh, I mean, I, I keep coming back and, and revisiting the ratio issue. I, I've heard all kinds of speculation about it. 
Um, and, and some of that speculation from some pretty senior people in the food chain about um, absolute abolition of the, uh, of the ratio. I, I hope more reasonable people react to what you just said about mm -hmm. Nate Bahar being a, a key element in that community to sell football, to build football, to be a strong voice for the game, and to be a strong voice in the community. That, you know, that, that's something that makes a professional team in the Canadian Football League um, a bit of a throwback in terms of what professional sports is, but also stand out as being something more than what we see across the, the, the face of professional sports in North America. I, I think that's something that should be celebrated. I don't think it should be something that's looked down on. Absolutely. And as we kind of talk about these ecosystems growing, one ecosystem in particular, and that's uh, the ecosystem which is known as Ontario football, uh, kind of took on new leadership in Aaron Giesler. Um, his big action this last couple of weeks has been to round up the majority of the, of the groups in Ontario, the Football Association of Referees, uh, the NACAFA National Capital, OUA as well. And what I've kind of explained to people is he threw the lasso, he roped them all in, and he just kind of yanked on it and tied them together. Uh, yeah. you... <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, what are your initial <laughs> thoughts on the action of kind of getting all these associate partners? Well, you know, back in December of 2019, uh, we had uh, a mediation. I actually flew in from Vancouver into, into, into Hamilton for a mediation between the OFA, uh, the OPFL, and OFC Varsity. Uh, so we could start the discussion on where the friction points were and how we could align. And I, I think that that started a process, uh, and Aaron was part of Football Canada at the time as a director of sport, um, where we were trying to bring stakeholders in to uh, the provincial sports organization, the OFA, um, to start working in tandem with one another. Because especially at a time where um, uh, numbers have been trending downward uh, on the tackle side, but also on the flag side, there is no real coordination mm. uh, across Ontario. And, and quite frankly, the flag football side is going to be the side that fuels all of football in the future. Uh, that, that that sort of coordination and alignment needed to happen. So we continued to push from, from the Football Canada side. And when the executive director position became open in, in Ontario, we uh, campaigned hard for Aaron to become that person. As much as we were going to lose him from Football Canada, um, we knew that we couldn't necessarily fix football in Canada or make Football Canada itself as strong as it needed to be without a strong and united Ontario. And so I, I think there's, there's, a, there's an understanding across the board. And I'm, I'm really excited that um, in June, as uh, part of the discussions that we're having uh, with uh, pro provincial sports organizations, um, we're going to have a series of, of, of stakeholder discussions in June with Football Canada involved, with the OUA involved, 
uh, with OFC Junior involved. Remember, they were on the sidelines for a while, too, and Aaron managed to rope them back in uh, to the house. Um, you know, working together in a complicated environment in Ontario, because you do have regional and cultural divisions right within that province, but, but working together is going to deliver something special in that province and finally get Ontario to the level where it needs to be. I, I think the uh, really the final hurdle for them is finding a way to integrate with high school uh, in Ontario. Um, high schools have been, have been challenged. The numbers were in the low 400s about a decade ago. They ran down into the 300s. I believe they're in the in the high 200s now in terms of, in terms of uh, high school football teams. And one of the things that, that, that I was doing, uh, and, and it's, it, it's painstaking, but we're actually doing an inventory of, of permanently lined football fields in Canada. And one of the ways we're doing that actually is through Google Earth and aligning it with, with where football programs are. We're knocking them off one at a time here, folks. I can help and you. And we've got all the way also. through Western Canada. We've <laughs> got, we got zero. Into the, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's the thing. I got down into the GTA, and, you know, the 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 the, the, the one unmistakable footprint of a, of a Canadian football field is that track around it, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you get into the GTA, and you see – all these places where football was once played, right? Where it isn't anymore. And, and you can tell the schools all through the GTA that, that have that, that, that resonant footprint of where the game used to thrive. And, and, and so, so the, the, the key to getting football back on those fields again is a united effort that, that Aaron's trying to, trying to put together and it's great that he's got Gord Grace and the OUA fully on his side on this but I do think it, it's also partially repopulating the game through flag initially where, where some of these schools might have liability issues with tackle get flag in there in the first wave get both boys and girls playing flag in there in the first wave build up from flag so then you can do something with six man or nine man until you get to 12 man ball Right. It's got to be systematic to get football back in the GTA again. And it's it's going to be a slow build and, and, and it's going to be challenging and it's going to take a, a lot of work. There's no silver bullet for this, folks. Like the people that care about this game have really got to throw their back into this uh, to, to, to build it back up again, uh, because um, as I go back to, to what I was saying earlier, until we fix football in Ontario, we're not fixing football in Canada. Yeah. And you mentioned the high schools. I had kind of tweeted out like, wow. When I first saw it, like, wow, Ontario is starting to take off. Here comes Aaron. And uh, on the Ottawa high schools tweeted back and said, wait until he gets all the high schools involved. And Aaron tweeted back. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> um, do you think OFSA as a whole um, would kind of join in for our listeners, that's the Ontario Federation of uh, Secondary Athletics Association. Do you think they would kind of tie in as a whole or would it have to be like a, a football section? I, I think it's uh, might, might actually be a conference by conference thing and uh, or division by division thing. And, and the reason I bring that up is that I, I think that private schools have more mobility than public schools when it mm -hmm. comes to making these engagements. 
and and if and and if you have a conference of private schools that, that that's looking for a easier path to coaching certification, and uh, and looking at programming that 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 cuts into aligned schools at younger ages that can introduce the sport. Uh, you know, we have a we have a futures program and we have a first down program that can that can initially draw draw kids in into the sport so they can feed up into the system and keep that that student body from a business perspective for a for a private school. It keeps those students aligned as they go from a younger affiliate school up into high school. Right. Um, you know, sports is a, is a very strong drawing card for that. So they see the value in those things. Um, I think if you start seeing some private schools, uh, especially some of the private Catholic schools going in that direction, I think they can start leading the way, uh, for the public schools to then become aligned like they are in Manitoba, like they are in Saskatchewan, like they are in Alberta to become aligned with, with the, with the provincial effort. So you have one delivery system, mm -hmm. uh, for, for, for football in Ontario. And that's what Aaron's working towards. And he's doing a great job out of the gate right now. And as we do talk about youth football, one of the more beloved events in youth football, I mean, across the nation, really, you know, these young kids get excited for it every year. That is the Canada cup, the, interprovincial tournament you could call it but um what is the forecast on a on a 2021 canada cup well it's uh if i'm uh, if i'm a weatherman i'm saying pack your umbrellas because it's gray and raining um uh one of the things that 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 we tried to do is find different paths and different routes to, to host in a canada cup that was still affordable for the competitor because a lot of the costs are still borne by the families that 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 send their players uh, to the to these events, and um, you know we had Plan A, B, C, D. We were down to Plan H or I. Seriously, you know, like we 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 had replanned and replanned and repositioned, and and uh, finally we we canceled the the the, the Canada Cup proper. Uh, but we had proposed that the provinces uh, that border each other have a, have a single game or a two or a three game series against each other. So it'd be BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. Now, um, little did we see that that when it looked like it was just about ready to take off, <laughs> there. It, we were really confident one week um, and I was looking up at my calendar on the Thursday and I go, wow, the, we're, we're on the road to, to achieving this on, on the Tuesday following the story about the variants broke and the numbers with the variants started to expand and it was over for, for a lot of these things. So BC, uh, we're fairly confident. Um, Alberta, not so much. Saskatchewan, more confident. So, so if BC and Saskatchewan want to play a game, that's probably the road we're going down for a for a game or a series of games um, uh, late in July. Um, Ontario and Quebec, you guys are out there. Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I, I was on a, a an Atlantic call uh, yesterday. Um, they, they have been hit. Uh, they are in lockdown. 
but they, they they have some confidence that they can get back to camp in late June and have and have a series of three games in July. They might have to play them uh, all in New Brunswick, and they might have to scale down from twelve men to nine men or even six men. So it, it's just a series of compromises with the pandemic that we have to go through just to have these interprovincial competitions on the field. We had looked in the BC Place Stadium as a December uh, location. Uh, the cost was overwhelming. So to have a central location, we looked at Olympic Stadium in Montreal in December. There's nobody there. Uh, we could play a tournament there. The issue with, get this guys, the issue with Olympic Stadium in Montreal is that if there's a prediction of more than three centimeters of snow in any day, they don't let anybody in the building. So there's no way that we're going to go <laughs> fly everybody into to Montreal in December. And if there's snow flurries, you're, you're, you're talking about the 14 about, day uh, forecast. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're talking to me about forecasts at the start of this. That's the forecast. If there's three <laughs> centimeters of snow, there's no national championship. <laughs> So, so, so we, we couldn't go to Montreal and, and of course, you know, Sky Dome would just be completely inaccessible cost wise. So um, those were our alternatives. And, and so we fully explored them and we just couldn't go down any of those roads. So uh, the plan now shifts to 2022, um, 2020 and 2021 uh, were scheduled for Vancouver. Uh, we're looking at 2022 uh, for Vancouver. Uh, we have uh, talked to a TV network about getting the final on. And in addition to that, because it, it, it will have been four years since we won the gold medal uh, in Mexico in 2018, we're looking at a, at a global competition uh, or a Pacific Rim championship in Vancouver that, that will shadow the, the Canada Cup. So the opening day is the Canada Cup. The next day is international competition. You get a day off. And you do that another two times, so you have three game days for the both of them. Uh, we have commitments from Australia, Japan. We have an organizer in the United States uh, bringing a team up. Um, uh, the Nordic countries of Denmark, um, mm -hmm. Finland, Sweden, Norway are interested in putting an amalgamated team in. Uh, Mexico has already said that they're in. Um, so we've got a lot of energy built around this because there's pent up demand for, mm -hmm. for bringing a, uh, a global competition back, uh, for these athletes, New Zealand's even indicated some interest. So, you know, we, we want to get back on the field with, uh, with big tournaments, with some broadcast component to it. And, you know, hopefully as, as we get a couple of games played this summer, we can get back to normal in the fall, what it, yeah, uh, you know, or at least something resembling normal in the fall. And then by the time we get, uh, by the time we get to the spring and summer of next year, we'll be back to back to speed again. Fingers crossed on our side as well. Uh, and uh, with that, Connor, I, I, do you have anything else to add? I think that's uh, that's all our questions for today. We won't uh, won't take up too much more of your time, but. Yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us again. Your insight's always really appreciated. Well, when we've got something to announce on football weekend in Canada, you got to have me on again. All right, absolutely. We're working on that, so. <laughs> <laughs> we will look forward to the announcement upcoming then. Okay.
once Great again, guys. Thanks very much. No problem. And once again, for all of this, all of our listeners, that's Jim Mullen, the president of Football Canada, always bringing some great insight for us. So I hope you guys. All right. And there you guys have it. Jim Mullen, always with top end insight into the interworkings of Canadian football. Uh, stay tuned for the Corners Trophy. That's upcoming. Uh, honestly, I saw Eamon Ogbong when you get plus 450. I started drooling. Um, that's, a, <laughs> that's a pretty good turn. Jim was talking about him too. My well, goodness. I don't, we've talked about this, but but Chuba Hubbard should not be amongst the leaders. In my opinion. Like he's missed too many games, too much injury. Yeah. So for yeah. me already, I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, I can get the third highest guy who had the second best season. In my mind, the first best season. I'm liking those odds. Um, but no, as as we keep going though, keep tuned for the Corners Trophy. May 24th, they're gonna be awarding the Corners Trophy. So we will bring you that when it happens. From our live Before- show, our starting our live shows that week. Yeah, let's go. That will be Before the day we, do that we record our live show. <laughs> <laughs> So stay tuned for that. We're gonna have a wild setup with a bunch of green screens. Oh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be phenomenal. We, we don't even know what it's gonna look like yet. We're excited to get to it. Excited to get there. Uh, that does it for today's show, though. And just before we let you go, just want to take a second to remind everybody: Sawdust City Brewing Company offers brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews, and to learn more. This May, CFP listeners are getting an exclusive promo code. Use CFP during checkout to receive free shipping on all orders over $100. Shipping is available to Ontario residents only. Must be legal drinking age. And as always, can't forget about these guys. The Canadian Football Perspective podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fox 40 the worldwide leaders in whistle technology for 15% off all your return to play whistle needs. Visit fox40shop.com and enter the code CFP 15. Once again, that is CFP 15 at fox40shop.com. As always, you know where to find us at Connor R O'Neill at Wade Zank at CF perspective. Enjoy the Friday house party on marshmallow tomorrow. Uh, go back and check out the rest of the episodes from this week. Marsh caught up with Bo Levi Mitchell, the Stamps Gunslinger, on Monday. Connor and I talk East-West on Tuesday. And, as always, the breakdown coming at you guys on Wednesday. So, check out the episodes, however you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>